you were to ask people why the Lord Jesus Christ came, you would probably get a number of different answers. Some would be foolish in their ignorance and probably give us some light-hearted response. Some would perhaps honestly say that they just didn't really know. It was just a bit of the Christmas story. Then, of course, there are Christians who would uh, give us an answer. There would be many answers that we could give. For example, we could say, well, Jesus came into the world to deal with our sin, uh, to deal uh, and enable forgiveness. He came to die on the cross. He came to reconcile man with God. And all those answers are quite correct. Uh, But there is one answer above all, I think, uh, and a reason that we're in danger of sometimes forgetting, um, putting aside, as it were, that actually it's something that God puts to the fore. One overriding reason that Jesus Christ come into the world was to glorify God. And I'll develop that in a few moments. But I want us this evening uh, just to take a little while to look at the message that came from heaven. It's a very simple message. And yet, I think, as I said in prayer, it's one of those messages when we look at the simplicity of it, we look at what the message is, it is that message which can, under the hand of God the Holy Spirit, change our eternal destination. It's what we do with that message and what God enables us to do with it. And here too, for the Christian, uh, this is the only way we can uh, embrace, as it were, the true joy of the season and the peace that we have in Christ. And it's interesting at the moment, isn't it, when you read some of the reports from the Ukraine of people there that have literally lost everything, and yet there are many coming to faith, and there are Christians there who, although they've lost everything, they are busy working, as it were, under the hand of God to take the gospel elsewhere. I know one couple that come up every month for prayer in in one of these uh, prayer lists, they were... Uh, had to leave Ukraine, and they were taken, I think, to Moldova. And the first thing they did there, because they were missionary to Jewish people, rather than rush about trying to set up a new home and all the rest of it, uh, they went wherever they could, and their first goal was to try and find Jewish people, that they may present them with the gospel. Because that was their mission in life back in Ukraine, and it's now their mission wherever they go. And so for people... Uh, Like that, they give us a a living testimony of what a Christian should be. Even when we lose all things, we can still find joy and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, on the night our Saviour was born, we read here of two angelic messages. The first was a solo, wasn't it, Uh, angel? Uh, We don't know whether these things were sung. We don't know whether it was an anthem. We don't know whether it was spoken. We assume it was sung. But in verse 10 of Luke 2, the angel, singular, said unto the shepherds there, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And uh, having spoken, as it were, about what was about to happen Uh, announcing it, as it were, there then appeared a great angelic host that gave at least a threefold message. Uh, It's a message that many people could recite. It's a message that appears on lots of Christmas cards. Verse 14, the message was, well, it says there was a heavenly host, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I often wonder how many angels there were. It says there was a great multitude, and we know from researching other portions of Scripture, there are probably millions of angels. And how many came, I don't know, but it would have been, well, it would be wonderful to hear one angel, wouldn't it? But to hear a multitude of angels proclaiming the Saviour's birth, it must have been absolutely amazing for those shepherds to hear. So I want to leave four things with you this evening that the angels spoke about concerning this great salvation. And it's particularly interesting, although everything in Scripture comes from God by the Holy Spirit, here we're reading an actual verbal message, aren't we, that came from heaven itself. And the first thing, of course, was it was good tidings of great joy. We refer to that often. It means good news, doesn't it? Um, This is what the single angel came to do. It's almost as if the angel came to give a... um, you know, a heading and a strap line for what the, the host were about to bring in their message. And this good news was the best news ever, wasn't it? The rest of the angel's message tells us what that news is going to be. But the first part here um, is telling us that it is going to be the best news. The news the angel brought was to liberate people from the penalty and power of sin. And it was something only God could do. It was something he'd promised to do. We don't know how much theology these shepherds had. They must have had some, uh, because probably the sheep they were looking after, they knew they went down uh, to the temple and they were going to be sacrificed, many of them. And they knew why, because it would come from the Old Testament. And they would have been allowed into certain parts to hear something of that Old Testament message. It was part of their heritage. So they would not perhaps have been familiar with all the Old Testament that we've got, but they'd been familiar with the fact that there was to be a saviour to come. And they were greatly blessed. No one had ever heard greater news than that. When I first started work, I was working in London, and uh, I'd go on the train to Liverpool Street, and then you'd catch a, a tube to Holborn Station. And then when I came out from the Holborn station, I'd probably got a mile to walk. And you'd pass a lot of news vendors in those days. And they would stand there and they'd have their little kiosk and they'd have a a poster board in front and it would get changed two or three times a day. And it'd always have something dramatic on it. And and the reason that was they wanted you to buy the newspaper. Uh, That was the the goal. It was was to catch you in, as it were. The, The headline was to make you sit up and take... Notice. In other words, you couldn't just walk by. And this message here, in one sense, is a message like that, that we shouldn't just walk by, and yet most of the world do walk by. This was the news that was threaded throughout the Old Testament. And sadly, many people had got used to the fact, well, that's the message, an anointed one is coming one day, but he's never come in all of these years, and it was something, it was always an expectation It's a bit like that today, isn't it? We speak of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone, yes, we know it's going to happen. But one day it will happen. So what was was the initial announcement? The initial announcement was where he was going to be born, in Bethlehem. We knew that from Micah, uh, which we read at the beginning of the service. The initial good news was it was to be a saviour. And... uh, 
He was to be and will be and is Christ the Lord. In other words, packed into that little initial announcement, not only is the, the quality of the news given, but the theology is given. That this is a saviour, one who's going to save his people. And that he is Christ the Lord. He is the anointed one. Christ means anointed one. So they should recognise him as being the one who is threaded throughout the Old Testament. That this is God himself in the flesh. So that was the initial good news by the single angel. And then we get to the heavenly hosts. And as I say, this is the point that really struck me here. That although we're looking at the whole message, and the whole message is important, note that which this heavenly host said first. Again, verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And that angel didn't go away, stayed there, joined the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. In other words, whilst redemption's story is for the eternal benefit of repenting sinners it is firstly for the glory of God he must have the glory now of course this this wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a fallen race if there wasn't an elect people to be saved but but seeing as there was and this is the eternal plan of the ages God says now this great work is going to glorify me and so he saves his people in the glorification of his own name we know by Adam, uh, he became in Satan's grip, he became a sinner, and we are in the family of Adam, and uh, left to ourselves, we have no means of escape. But here is the Saviour coming, and, and this is what glorifies God, the work that was being done. It says in verse 1, we didn't read it, but it says, and it came to pass in those days. And we can easily kind of just gloss over that, well that means... In, in the particular days in which this happened, the, the particular calendar year. Well, that's true to a point, but this was a particular year. This was a part of God's eternal plan. As we read later on in Scripture, when the fullness of times had come, God sent forth his Son. Uh, and it was an unveiling time. Uh, and all this was to bring glory to God. It was an unveiling of that which had been promised in the Old Testament. And the angels must have been absolutely amazed. Uh, remember they'd seen many things in heaven and on earth. They'd seen magnificent things. Uh, we read that at creation it says, when all the sons of God shouted for glory. Uh, we're talking here about angels singing or angels speaking, but angels also shouted apparently. They shouted for joy. When they saw what God had created... When they saw the beauty of the earth, and then they saw him create humanity in, in God's own likeness, it says they shouted for joy. And one of the carols says, doesn't it? Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Some had guarded the Garden of Eden. Some had visited Abraham and Lot. There were visits to Daniel, Gideon, and many more. No doubt many that are not written in Scripture. They'd had many messages, messages of warning, messages of encouragement, messages of deliverance, but they'd never had a message like this before. They must have been amazed. They must have been amazed that the second person of the Trinity had actually, as Wesley puts it, had been constricted to a span, that he was now an embryo. 
And that must have really, if you can have a, an angel can blow their mind, it must have been an amazing thing to know what's really happening here. Because if we read through the scriptures, uh, it seems that angels didn't have a full grasp of everything that was going on. Uh, and, and so there was, um, can't really call it confusion, but there must have been some questioning among themselves, as it were, as to what they were seeing and what was going on. And then to realise that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, had taken on a veil of flesh and was about to be born and they were sent down with this glorious message. They came to glorify God. You know, God is glorified in every blade of grass, isn't he, in that sense. And uh, every aspect of God's creation, his design uh, and everything we see about it And then we see the galaxies above, and uh, that speaks, the scripture says, of the glory of God. Um, Billions are spent, aren't they, to venture into the universe. And uh, when they see the the complexity of space out there, they're not really seeing what what they want to see. They're not seeing what they want to see. They're not seeing the glory of God. Our eyes have to be opened to see that. But whether they like it or not... God is there. I was speaking recently about God being the infinite God, that he's everywhere present. And, you know, when that, uh, there's two or three up there now, isn't it? The, the telescopes are, are whizzing along there into outer space. When they get out there, God is there. And it's almost as if, you know, I say it with, with certain reverence, that God could say, well, I, I'm here, you know, you, you keep coming and you'll find me there. But he's also here with us. He is infinite. And wherever you go, it is for the glory of God. But let's move on. We see here now that their song is directed to earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. This was a new song for them to sing as well. Uh, in the sense that uh, they'd sung glory to God, as I said, perhaps millions of times, but they'd never had reason to sing peace on earth. This, this was definitely a new song. They could perhaps look at the earth and say, well, that, that's what God created, and, and that's a planet in rebellion. They sinned, and, and they're all sinners now. How come we can sing peace on earth? Because there is no peace. They war among themselves. They're at enmity with God. How can there be peace? But now peace was here on every level by the grace of God. That the war that had continued between God and man could cease. I suppose that yes we could say there was peace in a few isolated lives of the believers as we read of them in the Old Testament. But that peace was dependent on God's only begotten son coming and doing what he did. We think of the tabernacle. There were the sacrifices uh, and the high priest on the day of atonement. It brought peace. But it had to be repeated again. The sacrifices had to be every day. The day of atonement had to be every year in order to maintain that peace. And all of that was dependent on the coming of Jesus Christ. Where could peace be found? Peace wasn't found through the law. God gave the law, but the law showed us our condemnation and pointed us to Christ. People today try and find peace through philosophy and uh, there's no peace found there. Peace through humanism, no peace through humanism. 
And we could even say peace through religion. If you watch the different religious leaders that give Christmas messages, etc., we don't find much hope in those. We certainly don't find much of the true Christmas story. Peace can only come when sin is dealt with, and that's what Christ came to do. And that's why the angels could say, yes, there is going to be peace on earth, because God is going to come and see to that. That's what Christ has come for. As it says, it is the peace of God that passeth all understanding, that keeps our minds and hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. I suppose when you look back today, you look at, we're thinking of the peace between God and man, but we think of the peace between men when we look at all the war that there's been over the years, and particularly today. We scratch our heads and we, we can't really understand why, uh, for example, Russia would invade as the way that they did, except perhaps for greed, uh, for power and position. And we know there are other wars going on at the moment around the world, and there is conflict and rebellion. But the scripture reminds us that when Christ does come, when he sets up his kingdom, it will be a kingdom of peace. He will bring peace, a peace that's never been known since creation. So the angel's message here then was, first of all, glory to God. Secondly, then coming there, peace on earth. And then goodwill to man. So the message, first of all, was about God, glory. Second, to the earth, in a more general sense. And now to individuals, goodwill to man, to men and women. There are those, aren't there, who take the view, well, if God exists, then he has done all of this. He set things up and, and set them all in motion, and, and he's left the world to its own devices. Others take a view against God, um, because they say, well, look at the suffering there is in the world. Can there be a God with all this suffering? And of course, that's another subject. We look upon suffering, the result of sin and the fall, and, and all those things that go along with it. But these four words, good will toward men, indicate something different. It, it tells us, doesn't it, the amazing fact that God who has been sinned against and whose existence is even denied by his creation, he has set his love upon the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was God's goodwill in giving us his only begotten son. Uh, again, I've said this before, but if you only had the first few pages of the Bible, if you only got as far as the fall and realised what jeopardy and danger humanity was in now, and then someone said, well, you finish the story. How, how can this be turned round? And if we didn't know the rest of the Bible, people might uh, somehow kind of think of different ideas and things. But the one solution that no one would ever have thought of is the solution that God gave. That he would send his only begotten son, that he himself would come in the flesh. And there was no reason for God to do this other than he set his heart upon it. Other than he had predetermined a people that he would come to save. This was his eternal plan. And although we may not fully understand it, how that God could do all of this before even creation, yet the scripture says that that's what happened. And we believe his holy word. And everything in scripture fits his eternal plan in the eternal ages of God. You know, if we're 
in any doubt of God's goodwill, then by faith we gaze upon the manger. By faith, again, we listen to the heavenly host and we're reminded all of this was for your salvation and mine. The angelic host did not make a mistake. They may sing in the, uh, the face of public opinion, but the angels will still be singing when the Lord returns in glory. And he will return, it says, with his angels. And so when we think of the season and the gifts, of course, here is the greatest gift that God could give, that anyone could give. In fact, God was the only one who could give it. Greatest in value, greatest in need. Without Christ, we go to judgment for our sin and a lost eternity. Who can put such a price on, on deliverance from hell, on deliverance from damnation, on deliverance from judgment? Not only deliverance from that, but to be given uh, a righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and to know an eternity in glory. So there's a little of what I wanted to say tonight. We've seen here that the initial solo angel, as it were, having announced what was coming, the good news that that God was coming, this was the promise of the anointed one, that this would happen in Bethlehem. Having made that uh, uh, initial announcement, we've seen something of what the heavenly host said. First of all, glory to God. Secondly, it was to be peace on earth. And thirdly, it was to be goodwill to men. Now, what can we do with this? What application can we make? Had you ever thought that, although it would be wonderful to hear the angelic hosts, that actually we're more blessed than the shepherds? We're more blessed than the angels, really, in that sense. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, Blessed are they who have not seen and believe. We haven't heard the angels. We haven't seen the angels, and yet we believe, and that's by sovereign grace. And so he says, blessed are those, more blessed are those who believe and have not seen. We have a greater portion of revelation. We don't know fully what the shepherds knew, but they didn't have a Bible such as we have. And they certainly didn't know the story that went on through the New Testament. We know the beginning and the end. We're more blessed than the angels. In 1 Peter 1 it says, these are things that the angels desired to look into. In other words, he's saying that they didn't fully understand the prophets. They didn't fully understand what was going on with the gospel. But it was a wonderful thing. And in any event, uh, the Lord did not redeem fallen angels. They were left to their own destruction. And ultimately, that will be so. He's left them in their fallen state. We're more blessed than the shepherds. We're more blessed than the angels. That God should set his love on fallen mankind. Again, when you follow these telescopes that are going into space, they're travelling billions and billions of miles and they're passing, well, they say they cannot number the stars, uh, let alone planets, etc. They are beyond number. And yet the scripture says God numbers them and names them all. Now, out of all of those billions of of spheres, if you like, there is the earth. And there is nothing else like the earth. They say, well, we found, what do they call it, a a Goldilocks planet is what they're looking for. They're looking for a planet that's not too hot and not too cold. It's just right for humanity to live on. But they've not found one. And I would suggest there isn't one. 
because God created this world. So out of all of that vastness of space, and, and they can't measure that, our God chose to come and to save us as lost sinners. My friends, how thankful we should be that he came to save his people and in saving his people, it was glory to him. Little verse in Hebrews 9 says, God offered himself without spot to God. And that kind of continues with the theme. His offering was unto his heavenly father in satisfaction of our redemption. So everything that Christ did was for his people. Firstly, firstly for the glory of the triune God. So we're more blessed than the shepherds and the angels in that sense. I suppose secondly we should think, well, seeing all this was done for us, how careful we should walk. Seeing we know this story, and if we're Christians that we've known by sovereign grace the Saviour, how careful we need to be as we walk before others. Yes, we know the reason for the season, but that trips off our tongue and it should be seen more in our lives. But then... Thirdly, and really finally this evening, do we know the goodwill of God to our souls? We know this story. People who have little thought for God know this particular verse. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Well, whether we're here or whether we're sitting online, we, are, we close with the challenging question. Do we know God's goodwill to our own souls? Or are we carrying still our load of sin? Christ came to deal with sin, to remove it as far as the east is from the west, to cleanse it uh, through his precious blood on the cross, and yet we still carry our sin. Are we still at war with God, at enmity with God, as the scripture says we are, if we don't know him as our saviour? And yet he came to deal with that, to give you peace. It matters not what others think of our state, And in one sense, it matters not what we think of our state before God. It's what God thinks and knows of our state. He knows whether we are his or not. He knows whether we're walking right before him. He knows whether we have this peace. He knows whether we give glory to his name. He knows whether we know that goodwill to our own souls. These angels who sang glory to God in the highest wait, as it were, with bated breath to sing again. And they will sing again when he comes in the clouds of bright glory. A time that is nearer now than ever before. Star of David rises in the east and times are enveloping us. But I would that they would sing again this day. For we read there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The angels came and they shouted at creation. They announced the birth of Christ and all the other things we read in scripture. And they will uh, announce his return again. But also, it says there is joy among the angels over one sinner. One sinner that repents. And so I would encourage you tonight, if you know not the saviour, to lean on him. God's unspeakable gift. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Amen.